Hi, this is Jim Sheriff, and welcome to Contrary Evidence. This week, we're going to explore the revelations that were published by ProPublica about the taxes paid by the ultra-wealthy. I will deviate from my normal format a bit because of the depth and the misinformation being propagated by the media about this topic. My goal is to provide you with contrary evidence to the narrative being offered by the media. ProPublica published an article about the low tax rates of the 25 richest Americans. Their article was purposely deceptive, unnecessarily incendiary, and the product of illegally obtained data. The essence of what ProPublica published could be titled, The Rich Only Pay the Taxes That They Legally Owe, or The Rich Do Not Pay Taxes on Their Wealth Because There Is No Wealth Tax. Both would be pretty boring titles, but a lot more accurate. ProPublica created their own definition of taxable income that included unrealized capital gains, and it computed tax as a percentage of wealth growth, which they called the true tax rate. Now, for the 25 wealthiest people, that number was stated as 3.4%. This number is completely irrelevant. Our nation does not tax wealth, nor do the vast majority of other nations. Those that do tax wealth tax on average below 1.5%. Our country also does not tax unrealized capital gains, which is also true in every other country. The purpose of this metric was solely to inflame readers. We have an income tax system that taxes income. Unrealized gains and wealth are not income. Many of the rich cited in the article avoided or reduced their taxes by donating to charities. George Soros was specifically called out for avoiding taxes for three years in a row. This occurred because of the magnitude of his donations to charities and his investment losses. Warren Buffett has committed the bulk of his wealth to charity, but he controls it while he is still alive. Buffett was skewered as the best example of tax avoidance by a billionaire. These omissions and distortions show the bias of the authors. The ultimate goal of the article was to rally support for a wealth tax. Wealth taxes were such a disaster in Europe that most countries repealed them. Wealth taxes will require individuals to spend millions each year just to assess the value of their illiquid assets like real estate and private companies. Elizabeth Warren has responded to this obvious flaw by suggesting that wealth taxes might only apply to publicly traded stocks. This is a really bad idea. The wealthy would dramatically shift investments towards assets that were not taxed. This would drive down stock prices, distort the overall asset market, and hurt every family that owns stocks. The data referenced in this article was illegally obtained. The courts have been very clear that writers cannot be compelled to reveal their sources. The implications of this violation of privacy are severe. It is imperative that the American public believe that the IRS protects their sensitive data. There are only two viable explanations for how the data was obtained. The first is that the IRS was hacked. If that is the case, the implications are very scary. We need to understand quickly if that disaster occurred and there needs to be a clear remediation plan. 
The second explanation is that someone within the IRS with access to the data illegally shared the data for either political or financial reasons. This person needs to be rooted out and sent to prison. I would be more sympathetic to this disclosure if the information showed a pattern of cheating or abuse of the system. The data that was released only reaffirms that we only tax income and not wealth or unrealized capital gains. If someone knowingly buys stolen goods, they have committed a crime and they can go to jail. Why is it okay for a media company to profit from the use of stolen data? I understand and support the argument about protecting sources. However, when the only possible source for the data is illegal activity, we should block the ability to exploit and profit from the illegally obtained information. The only important revelation that came out of this article is that we must close the gigantic loophole that allows the wealthy to pass on appreciated assets when they die without paying capital gains. This step-up provision allows the rich to use their wealth to secure loans, which effectively allows them to cash out of their assets without incurring the tax liability and the gains. This provision must be changed. One way to incent the wealthy to sell their capital assets while they're still alive and to pay taxes on those gains is to ensure that the tax rate on the gains at death are higher than the taxes for selling assets during one's lifetime. In other words, if capital gains for the ultra-rich were 28.8%, as I proposed a couple of weeks ago, and if capital gains at death were taxed using the estate tax of 40%, the rich would be much more apt to sell assets during their lifetime to increase the after-tax value of their estates for their heirs. In 1913, the 16th Amendment was passed, which allowed for income taxes. Prior to that amendment, the Supreme Court had ruled that income taxes were unconstitutional. The income tax system was implemented with the passing of the Revenue Act of 1913. This act established a maximum income tax rate of 6%, and slashed other tariffs, making the new tax law revenue neutral. When instituted, the income tax only affected about 3% of the U.S. population. If the states that ratified the 16th Amendment knew that the maximum income tax rate would go as high as 94%, it would never have passed. The most serious constitutional scholars believe a wealth tax would be ruled as unconstitutional, and with the makeup of the current Supreme Court, that is highly likely. However, this ruling would take years to progress through the various courts, and it would be highly disruptive during the court review period. In today's environment, there is zero chance that a constitutional amendment supporting wealth taxes would be passed. Why would we spend any time pursuing this path? Taxing unrealized capital gains is equally problematic. If we tax unrealized gains, it is logical and fair that we would provide tax credits for unrealized capital losses with no limits. This would mean that in some years, the government would be sending gigantic checks to the wealthy during periods when they suffered declines in the values of their assets. As previously mentioned, 
taxing unrealized capital gains would be very inefficient and prone to game playing. When someone sells an asset, the market has clearly established the value of that asset. When someone simply and subjectively appraises the value of an asset, there is considerable room for inaccuracies and gamesmanship. With a wealth tax, we would create an entire industry of appraisers and wealth tax consultants that would cost hundreds of millions of dollars and deliver no economic value to society at large. Lastly, when income tax were created in 1913, the legislation was easier to sell because the tax rate was modest and only affected the very rich. We know how that played out. The wealth tax is being proposed is only affecting the ultra-rich. If a system was put in place to tax wealth, the wealth thresholds would slowly come down to the point that more and more Americans would be subject to this additional tax. It is important that we do not allow the media to manipulate and inflame us. Sure, we naturally want those that are considerably richer than ourselves to pay higher taxes than we do. But as covered in the earlier episodes, sometimes higher tax rates do not result in more tax revenue, and they always create a drag on economic growth. As always, seek contrary evidence before letting your emotions distort your understanding of the facts. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and family about this series, and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the newest episodes. Have a good week and talk to you soon. 